This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi there, Dr. Jen Lincoln here. I can't come to the phone right now, but we'll likely have an opening later on. Please leave me a message and I'll be at your cervix. I mean, <laughs> service in no time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Let's Talk About Down There podcast. I'm your host, board certified OBGYN, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. And this week, I'm so excited to answer this question because I think it's for my youngest caller yet. And I think it's really important that young people feel that they can ask these questions and have them answered in a respectful, evidence-based way. So let's have a listen. Why does my lower abdomen hurt when I'm not on my period? It's like a sharp pain and I get it for no reason. I just randomly feel it and I have a feeling that it's in my uterus, maybe. I guess it could be the intestines as well, but I'm not sure. I I have a feeling it's coming from my uterus. Like, I'm 16 and I don't know, should I go see a gynecologist for that? I've never been to a gynecologist before. Is it something to be concerned about? So I just first want to congratulate you. You're 16 and you were like, yep, I'm going to ask a question. I want to know what's going on with my body. And you felt empowered to do so. And that's really the first step. And I imagine that you've probably not just asked me this question. Maybe you've done some Googling. You've been doing some searching on TikTok. Maybe you've talked to your friends. Or maybe you mentioned it to a grown-up in your life or somebody that you trusted and they were like, yeah, that's life. It hurts sometimes. And so I think it's great that you're like, nope, I would like to know what's going on. Of course, I always give my disclaimer that this is not personalized medical advice. There's no way I could know what's going on exactly in you, but I can talk to you about some potential things. And then we can talk about how we figure that out what it's like to go to the OBGYN, especially for your first visit, and what to do if you feel like you're not being heard. So here we go. So you did a great job of describing your pain. And I want to give you a fun little thing here. This is something I was taught in medical school, and this is not something you have to know. But if you want to help your healthcare providers out, there's a really cool way that we love knowing about a complaint and all the details of it. So we used this mnemonic called Far Colder. And I went to medical school in New Orleans and the way it was taught to me was everywhere is far colder than where we are in the United States. And each of those letters stood for something. So if somebody said, I have abdominal pain, like you said, you have lower abdominal pain. I would make sure that throughout our conversation, I asked and characterized your pain in all these different ways, because that would help me figure out what I think was going on and narrow down my work. So number one, I would ask for the F frequency. How long has this been going on for? Did it just start yesterday or has it been for a month? And if it's been yesterday or for a month, is it every day? What's going on? A is for associated symptoms. So in addition to your pain, do you have anything else going on? Do you feel nauseous? Do you have diarrhea? Have you noticed that you've had a fever or any vaginal discharge? So things that go along with it. The R is for relieving symptoms. So does anything make it better? Because if you told me that, yeah, when I poop, it feels better afterwards, well, then maybe it's constipation or something that has to do with your intestines and not so much your uterus. So it's helpful for us to know what makes it better. The C stands for characterizing the pain. And you already did that. You said it was sharp. So I might ask if somebody came in and said, well, I have belly pain. I would say, okay, is it sharp? Is it crampy? Is it stabbing? Whatever other adjectives you can think to describe something. So that helps us understand 
again, kind of more what that pain feels like rather than us being able to feel it ourselves. The O stands for onset. So like I said, the frequency is how long it's been going on and how long does it last for? Is it all there all the time or does it come and go? And the O is for the the real onset. The L is for location. Just tell me where it is. Just point and let me know. And a lot of times I'll say to somebody, just with two fingers, show me exactly where it is. And then the D is for duration. So is it there chronically all day? Does it feel like it's there at baseline, but it ramps up? These are all just different ways of us kind of asking similar questions to get a better picture of what's going on. The E is for exacerbating. So remember how I said that R was for relieving? The E is for exacerbating. So is it worse when you move? Is it worse when you eat? Is it worse on your period? Is it worse when you have sex? those kinds of things. And then the last R is for radiating. So does it radiate or go anywhere? So when I asked you where your pain was and you pointed to your belly button, does it also go around your back? Or if you have pain in your right over your bladder, does it also go to where maybe the ureter or the tube that empties urine? I might make me think, oh, it's a kidney stone. So it's just a way for me. And I do this every single time I talk to a patient, um, even to this day, you know, being over 10 years out of my training, it just helps me know in my head, I've checked off all the things that I want to know. And it doesn't mean I'm going to sit there and be like, what's the frequency? This is, this is, you know, I, we work it into our conversations with patients. So you, you know, you said that it was sharp pain in your belly, not on your period. So helpful to know that. And you said it was for no reason and random. And you also said that you thought that it might be in your uterus or maybe your intestines, but I'm not sure. And that's a really valid thing to say because your uterus and your intestines kind of take up the same real estate. And you're wondering if you should go see a gynecologist for this. And is it something you should be concerned about? And I think that if anything is impacting your daily life, then it's something you should at least get some help answering. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily concerning or disease or worrisome, but if it's enough to make you ask a question, then it would be good to get an answer. And so here's how we think about these things when you come in with this particular complaint. We think in systems. So like you said, you already identified two. You said your uterus, so like the reproductive system, as well as your intestines or your GI system. GI stands for gastrointestinal. But there's lots of things that live in there, right? There's other systems too. And I tend to think in a systems-based approach as I go through these things. And so these are just some high level things that I would have running through my head and my exam and the questions I would be asking you and the test I'd be considering ordering would help me rule in or rule out some of these that might be more concerning to me or less concerning. I'm going to talk about a lot. And the good news is, is that probably none of these are your problem, but these are the things that we think about. And as physicians and healthcare providers, we always think, what's the worst case scenario? that we don't want to miss, right? Especially if you're coming into an emergency room or an urgent care center or labor and delivery if you're pregnant. So these are the things I want to know. So first, being a gynecologist and the fact that you threw out, you felt it was in your uterus, I'm going to listen to what you say and I'm going to think about those first. And so the first thing, and I would want to do this, is I want to make sure you're not pregnant. And it's just super important that we do that because if you are having penis and vagina sex, even if you're on birth control, it's important that we roll that out. And there's always been this joke, you know, among gynecologists and our training is that everybody who comes into our office is pregnant until proven otherwise. Not because we don't believe people when they say they're not pregnant, but we have definitely seen cases of missed pregnancy. And if we had just done the pregnancy test, we would have realized that's what the pain was. So we're, we'd want to rule out pregnancy. And if you're not having sex, then we don't have to rule that out. But if you are, we absolutely would do a quick pregnancy test. And the reason is, is that your symptoms could be from pregnancy in the uterus, which is 
you know, not necessarily life-threatening for most people, but it would be good for us to know. Or it could be a pregnancy that could be causing an issue. So an ectopic pregnancy or a pregnancy in the tubes um, or elsewhere outside the uterus, which obviously is not okay. Sometimes that can cause some of your symptoms. Usually they're a bit more acute and different, but again, we just think through the things that we don't want to miss. Other things that have to do with this system, and if you're not pregnant, we've ruled that out, that could be causing this pain could be something like endometriosis. So endometriosis is really common. About one in 10 people with the uterus have endometriosis. And this is a diagnosis that is when the cells of the lining of the uterus, the endometrial cells, so when there are cells that are like them that are outside the uterus and they are hormonally responsive and receptive. So just like when you have your cycle and you might feel a little crampier and you bleed, it's because that lining is changing and then you're sloughing it off. Endometriosis can cause similar symptoms elsewhere. It can cause bleeding. It can cause pain. It can cause cramping. It can cause inflammation. This tissue can be located on the outside of the uterus, on the ovaries, the fallopian tube, the intestines, the bladder, some other crazy places too, but these are the most common ones and they can cause symptoms well outside your menstrual cycle. I would say that for people who have endometriosis, the common way that they describe it is not always as sharp. So that would make it lower on my list of things that I'd be thinking about for you. But it's something that we think about just because of how common it is. And another thing that we think about too are cysts. So every month your ovary makes a cyst and that's good and normal and healthy. I feel like it's important to point this out because a lot of times the word cyst, people hear cyst, they automatically assume a cyst means a problem. Every month, there's one little egg in a follicle in one of your ovaries that is the winner and gets to be the prize and be the egg that's ovulated that month. And so every month, this little follicle, this little fluid-filled sac builds up and it bursts and a little egg comes out, comes out the ovary and then it gets swept up by the fallopian tube and it goes down the fallopian tube and it hopes, really hopes that it gets to meet a sperm. And if it doesn't, then it's a sad and you have a period. But the point is, is that every month that's happening and that's a normal thing. Some people can feel when that happens. They can feel their ovulation pain. It's called middle schmerz. It's a German word. I think it's really cool. But sometimes that little follicle that ruptures, sometimes it decides to misbehave a little bit. And so it might get filled with a little more fluid. It might bleed and it might rupture. And that blood in your belly, even if it's not a dangerous amount, it can be annoying and cause pain because pain inside the belly can be irritating to the lining of your belly. That makes sense. And so sometimes that causes pain. Again, the symptoms that you're describing don't necessarily sound like that, but it's something that we would think about. Other things that have to do with your reproductive tract that could be causing pain could be something like the ovaries twisting on itself. This is called ovarian torsion. Usually a very different presentation, very painful, comes and goes. But one thing that I would be keeping in the back of my mind. And another one would be an infection. So what we call pelvic inflammatory disease or a tubo ovarian abscess. So when a an infection sets up shop in your tubes, your ovaries, and causes like a pus pocket that sets up. These are often caused by things like gonorrhea or chlamydia. So it would be important during our evaluation, which I'll get to, that we figure out if you're having sex and if you are to make sure that it might not be an infection. And also scar tissue. So I don't know if you've had surgery before, but let's say maybe your appendix burst when you were little and you had to have your appendix out, um, or maybe something else happened and you had surgery in your belly. Every time we do surgery is a chance for scar tissue to build up. And sometimes that scar tissue can attach things to places that they shouldn't be. And that can cause symptoms like pain in your belly, not associated with your period. So these would all be things that I would be thinking about in the back of my head. 
There are less common things that could be happening as well that could be causing your pain. And actually, quite frankly, the most common diagnosis may be what we call idiopathic. We don't know. We may not find anything and and that can be frustrating sometimes, but it doesn't mean that we don't try. Some less common diagnoses might be other issues with the uterus like adenomyosis. Again, I doubt this with your characterization of it, but think of it as your the lining of your uterus isn't just that little lining that's on the inside that every month builds up and sloughs off, but it goes all throughout your uterus. So your uterus becomes like this boggy water balloon filled with blood. Really uncomfortable. You can have really heavy periods associated with it. You can also have fibroids. I'm not saying that it's not common, but in your age group, it's less common. Fibroids are these little benign balls of tissue that grow, fibrous, like fibroid, in the uterus, little balls of muscle. They can cause issues when they are big, when they're pushing on something, when they are degenerating, running out of blood flow. Usually symptoms are a bit different than yours. You know, other less common things too could be something called an imperforate hymen or you have a septum. So you get your period, but the blood can't come out. It's getting stuck in your uterus. And so this is something that we can very easily see on imaging. Usually this is not super common and symptoms are often different. I'm not going to go into all of the causes that could be related to these symptoms if you're pregnant, because we're just going to assume that you're not if we've done that testing. And then we have to think about the other stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with your uterus at all. And you had already said, you know, it could be your intestines. So sure, it could be something like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, other bowel obstructions, hernias, constipation. And I know so many times people are like, so you're telling me I just have to poop constipation hurts you guys. Like it is bad. I have seen people come in thinking they were in full-blown active labor and they were just so severely constipated. And once they had a bowel movement, they felt so much better. So I am not here to say like, oh, you just need to poop. Like, no, sometimes that truly is what's going on. So I would want to know more and I would ask more if you were in my office about your bowel habits. There are other things too, such as gallstones, appendicitis, other things, biliary colic, which is that after you eat fatty foods, sometimes you notice pain and that's sort of in the right upper part of your belly. Usually it isn't sharp, but it can be different for people. We can be talking about your kidneys. So your, your kidneys or your bladder. So you could have a bladder infection or kidney stones. You could have something called interstitial cystitis, which is like painful bladder syndrome, which is often linked with endometriosis, but not always. And then thinking about the other part of your body. So we call the musculoskeletal system or the muscles. So If for some reason you have pelvic floor dysfunction where your pelvic muscles are discoordinated, and I have other podcast episodes on this, I highly encourage you to listen to them. I think the one is called Tampon Trouble. It's about somebody who can sort of tampon. And the issue is really not the tampon itself, but it's all the pelvic muscles and nerves around it. Sometimes that or nerve entrapment, prior injuries can also cause symptoms in the same area. So I've mentioned a lot of different possible things and I certain I haven't mentioned everything that it could potentially be, but like you're probably thinking, okay, what's next? So yes, we want to see you in our office and here's a general idea. So like I said, we would start off asking lots of questions to really help hone in what we're thinking might be going on and what we need to do. And then we would do an exam. And I will explain in just a little bit here what it's like going to the OBGYN and what your first exam might be like. So I'll save that pelvic exam for just a moment, but I do want to highlight that we don't just jump right into a pelvic exam because you're saying you have belly pain. So I'd want you to point. I want you to show me where it hurts on your belly. I'd want to listen to your belly, feel your belly, feel if there's anything that might be growing or seems not correct. I would do other things too. Listen to your heart and lungs, your back. I'd want to see what other things might be going on if I have other issues that I might be worried about. Let's talk now about what it's like going to the OBGYN for your first visit and what that pelvic exam can be like. 
because I have said many times, and I will stand by this, your first visit to the OBGYN, if you don't have issues, very often you don't need a pelvic exam, especially if you're under 21. This is a different scenario though, right? Because you're having a complaint and you're having a concern that something's going on with your uterus. So in this case, it would probably be helpful to do a pelvic exam. When it comes to doing our exams, we have external exams and internal exams. The external exam is where we want to look and see if there's anything going on on the outside. So if somebody comes in and they have a concern about what their vulva looks like, the outside part, or if there's a growth there they're concerned about, or even if they're complaining of pelvic pain and I want to assess their pelvic muscles from the outside. So how this usually works is you come into the office, you get undressed, you have a gown that you wear, or you have a little sheet that you put over. What we usually do is have you lie back on an exam table. You don't always have to be flat on your back. We can put it up because that can feel much more comfortable. And we have these little foot rests. They're also called stirrups, but I hate using that word. I call them the foot rests. And we put those out so that you can put your heel in each of those. The reason is that way that gives us a better way to visualize or to see the outside part of the vulva. Now, sometimes you might go to your doctor, you might go to your pediatrician and they might not have this set up. And so in that case, they might just have you sit on the exam table and then just let your legs fall out sort of like a butterfly, like open up that way. And then we would take a look. We would have our, you know, gloves on our hands. And the way that I do this and the way every healthcare provider should do this is we're always getting consent. We're making sure that it's okay. We're explaining everything we do as we go. And you're more than welcome to have somebody there with you if you feel like that would be helpful. And if you don't have somebody that you want to bring, but you want somebody else in the room, such as a nurse or a medical assistant, they can absolutely be there to be that extra set of hands, to hold your hand for reassurance, whatever you need. And so how I would usually say is, I'm going to take a look on the outside now. You're going to feel my fingers touch on the outside. That's because I'm moving the lips of the vulva outside so I can look and make sure everything looks healthy. If you need me to stop, let me know. If anything is painful or uncomfortable, let me know. I would wait to make sure you said, yep, okay. And then I would take a look. It's the external part. At this point too, we might want to check your pelvic floor muscles. So that's where we take one gloved finger with lube and put them gently on the inside of the vagina and push down. And I'm saying, does this hurt? Is this painful? And again, if something hurts or is painful, you're the boss, you tell me when to stop. And this is me being able to assess what the muscles feel like. If I think the muscles feel tense or taut or like there's some dysfunction there. Then what we would recommend probably in your case, I'm not totally sure, but we might do something called an internal exam, a bimanual exam. Bi means two, manual hands. So two hands. So two fingers in the vagina, one hand on the outside pushing like basically on your bladder, because what I'm doing here is I'm assessing what does the uterus feel like? Am I feeling that it feels like there's a growth, like a fibroid or there's scar tissue and it can't move around? Or when I'm pushing here, is this really painful? Or when I do this, you're like, this doesn't hurt at all. Actually, it hurt further up. And yeah, I think it is my intestines. So this helps us figure that out. So we can figure out what the uterus feels like, which way it's facing, front, middle, or back. All are normal, by the way. And if it's mobile, it moves around, or if we think there's any scar tissue. We can also feel or try to feel your ovaries for the same reason, feeling if there's anything there. Normal ovaries can be really hard to feel depending on what your body size is. And also if you are younger, you're not reproductive age or you're menopausal and they're really tiny afterwards. So sometimes we don't feel anything and that's actually okay too. So this is called the bimanual exam. And also what I'm feeling with it, my fingers inside the vagina is I'm feeling the cervix. And when I move the cervix, is it tender or painful? That could tip me off to a potential infection of the cervix. Like I talked about earlier, that pelvic inflammatory disease. So we've done all that. Throughout all of this, I'm like, are you okay? We're doing all right. Do you need me to stop? You're the boss here. 
And then what we may need to do, may or may not in your case, again, depending on, on what we think is going on, is do something called a speculum exam. This is part of the internal exam. This is where we placed a speculum. Some people call them like the metal duck bill things. They can be metal or plastic. I actually prefer the metal ones because you can warm them up and also because they don't go into the landfill afterwards. And I feel that they're easier to see with and maneuver and require less movement than the plastic ones, but all of them are fine. So we put lube on the speculum, we place it in the vagina, talking, making sure that you're okay. If anything is uncomfortable, we stop. And the point of that is that I can then see the cervix and see inside the vagina. This also allows me, if I think I might need to do any tests for infection, and it is true, we can do tests like gonorrhea tests, chlamydia tests, other tests using a urine sample or a vaginal swab that doesn't require a speculum. But if I want to, if I'm really suspicious and I want to make sure I get a good sample or I want to have a look at the cervix or a look inside the vagina, this can help me. This is also what we use to get a pap test. Now, we don't do these unless you're 21 or older, so you should not be getting a pap test because that's looking for cervical cancer. And in your age group, that's super duper rare. And I don't think that would be what's causing your symptoms. And then I take out the speculum and be done. And so that's sort of like in a nutshell what your first visit to the OBGYN is like. And I know it can feel really scary coming to us the first time. Trust me, I was super scared the first time I went, but there are ways to make it easier. I think the first way to make it easier is to know what to expect. And that's what you're doing here, listening. I've also got a whole YouTube video on what a pelvic exam looks like. I will drop that link in my show notes so that you can reference that. Sometimes seeing is a little bit easier than me describing it. So knowing what to expect can be really, really helpful. Also going and visiting the person who's going to be doing this the first time and then just talking rather than having the exam the first time can also be helpful. Now, if you've got an acute issue and you're worried about it and that's what you need to be seen for, you might not want to separate those visits. But if that's something that you feel like, well, I'll just get in the door and I'll talk to him or her, I'll make sure I feel good and then I'll come back. That's fine too. You can also bring a friend or a support person. That can be really nice because they can be there to help talk if you're nervous or if you forgot what you were going to say, or somebody who can distract you while doing the exam. Some people find it really helpful to have something to distract them during the exam. So maybe, you know, listening to music, watching a TikTok. Others, that's the total nightmare situation because they want to be aware and be told everything that they're doing. Either one is totally fine. I think it can be helpful to have this clear communication with your provider to say, this is my first time. I'm really nervous. Can you tell me everything you're doing? And when I say stop, can you please promise you'll stop? The answer should obviously be yes. If you find a provider who says, well, I'm just, I'm almost done. Just let me get it over with. Nope, your body, your choice. You scooch back up on that bed and you say, no, I hate that I even have to make this clear, but I want you to feel fully empowered. And I know that there are some jerks out there. What I don't want you to do to make it easier is to go down a rabbit hole of like Reddit or TikTok and it's like, here's how your pelvic exam is going to suck and it hurts. And I, I am not here to say those stories are not real. I'm just here to say that sometimes being over-informed and doomsday scrolling does not empower you at all. So find your sweet spot of what you feel being empowered is. And then what to do if you're not heard, if during that visit you feel like, uh, I came here, I was going to do this exam and this person is weird and I did not want them touching me you call the shots. You're the boss. You can stop. You can walk out at any time. You can file a complaint if you need to, or if you don't feel comfortable, you can find somebody else, but just know that you are the one in charge and you are in control. And I think even just knowing that can be helpful. So you've come in, we've chatted, we've done the exam. Now what? We may not have all the answers by the time you leave. We may need to get some additional testing. And I mentioned a few of these. I mentioned a possible pregnancy test. I mentioned some sexually transmitted infection testing. If 
you are sexually active. Now, if you are not having penis and vagina sex, you can't get pregnant. But if you're having oral sex or doing other things, you absolutely still can get sexually transmitted infections. So depending on what your practices are, and just be honest with us, it's super important. I do want to highlight too that you are 16, but for anybody who's listening, we have strict confidentiality in that we will not and cannot release information to others unless it compromises the safety of you or others. So if you tell me that you're going to harm yourself or harm somebody else, state laws do vary. And I will put a link in the show notes to the Guttmacher website that does talk about parental consent laws. But I do want to take a step back from laws and just be like, overall, as a healthcare provider, as a physician, I am all for transparency. And I really encourage that young people talk to their parents because I think that parents want that as a parent myself. And teenagers, you'd be surprised your parents oftentimes are cooler than you think and and do want to help you. But I get if you don't feel like you can do that. You may be concerned then if there's an electronic medical record and your parent has access to it, you can voice all these concerns with your provider beforehand and say, listen, I'm here. I don't want mom to know that I'm having sex. So what do we do? How do we charge it? How do we document it? How do we use insurance or how do we not? What tests can you run? How's it going to show up? If I'm concerned and I don't want to be tested through you, where else can I go? Like a Planned Parenthood or a county clinic or, you know, a free clinic. And I hate that we have to think about these things, but we want to get you the healthcare you need and deserve. And we will work around these things if we have to, if it means that you have to go somewhere else to get testing because you're worried that your mom or your dad has access to the lab portal on their phone. So important things to think about. And parents, if you're listening to this episode, I want to highly encourage you to understand that your young people deserve, your teenagers in your life deserve to have that autonomy. And it's not because they're trying to hide things from you. It's just think about when you were a kid, right? Like maybe you just weren't ready at that moment to have that conversation, or maybe you've made it very clear that they're going to get in a heck of a lot of trouble. Or, you know, you might kick them out of the house if you find out they're having sex. Like it's a two-way street here. And so for your teenagers to trust you, you have to show that you are trustworthy. So, okay, I'm stepping off of that pedestal right now. We may also at this point want to get some other testing like imaging. So we may think, huh, I don't know what's going on here and I didn't feel anything, but we may need to get an ultrasound to look in your belly. And there's different ways to do ultrasounds. And this is where we use a little wand. We put gel on the wand and we're able to see. Just like the ultrasound results you've seen when people are pregnant and you can see their baby and it kind of looks like a snowstorm, but to people who are trained looking at it, they know what they're looking at. We can do an ultrasound on your belly, on your back, where we can look at your intestines, your appendix, your gallbladder, your kidneys, your uterus. And a lot of times we can see what we need. Sometimes though, we need to do something called a transvaginal ultrasound where we put a vaginal probe into the vagina and we can get a better picture of the ovaries, the uterus, the pelvis. We don't just order these on everybody. And depending on what your issue is, how comfortable you feel getting this done, how old you are, we may or may not decide to order this, or we may start with an abdominal ultrasound and then get a vaginal ultrasound if we can't see something afterwards. But just because we order a test doesn't mean you have to do it. And if you have concerns, you can absolutely ask. Other imaging tests that we sometimes get, we might get an x-ray if we want to look at your intestines and see how they look, see if there is any issues with constipation or concerns with any obstructions. We might recommend a CT scan or an MRI. 
These are other tests that are non-invasive. You lie on a table or you go through a little tube and we get really gorgeous pictures of your insides that way. Obviously, these are a lot more expensive than an ultrasound and you know are not always necessary for what we need at first. So we don't always usually jump to those. But if we are concerned about that, we might order those or we might say, you know what, based on all our testing, our imaging, your workup, I don't think this is your uterus at all. And I'm concerned you might have irritable bowel disease or Crohn's disease or something else going on. Or, you know, I think that maybe we might want to refer you to some physical therapy, or we try some gentle stretching and some exercise if we think it's your muscles, or I might refer you to a gastroenterologist if I'm worried about other things. So just because you come to us doesn't mean it's a gynecologic issue, but I also want you to know that you can come to us as a first step if you really do think it is your uterus and we can get some more information that way. I do want to highlight one thing. We have lots of studies that show that women and people with a vagina, people with uterus, girls, it takes a lot longer for our complaints to be heard, not for lack of trying, but because when we go to the doctors, we often get dismissed. Literal studies have shown this, that a man and a woman can show up to the emergency room with the same complaints. And when we say complaint, it's a medical term for like, what's going on? Not that you're a complainer, but like what you're there for. And the men will be taken more seriously, meaning they will get a quicker workup, a diagnosis. If the issue is pain, they are more likely to get pain meds. Women are more likely to be given psychiatric meds. This is definitely a problem and has roots in misogyny and the idea that we as women tend to be hysterical. And I've said this on many of my episodes and on my socials, hysterectomy, hyster, uterus, hysterical, it's all the same base word. And it's because back in the old days, they thought we were crazy and it was because of our uterus and it's not. But these ideas even though we might not explicitly call them that implicitly, there's still that thought that she's overreacting. Or even if we think it's related to your period, it gets normalized, right? Well, of course, periods hurt. Of course, pain a girl hurts. Of course, ovulation is uncomfortable. Of course, sex can hurt. And the bottom line is, is that I'm so proud of you that you spoke up and you asked a question. My concern is that when you go into the office, somebody might be like, oh, you're fine. It's okay. You're, you're 16. What could be wrong? You know what the truth is, is that probably nothing is wrong. But I still want you to have a good experience when you go in. And if you feel like you're being blown off, it's okay to speak up and be like, you know, I totally hear you that we don't think it's anything medically wrong, but I just like to make sure that we're looking into the things that could be an issue. And when do I come back? What are the warning signs? What is something I should be worried about? Can we make a follow-up visit in three months just to check in? Because it shows that you are speaking up for yourself and you're not a 16-year-old who's going to be steamrolled. Because I think that you know your body best. We all know our bodies best. It doesn't mean that you need surgery and there's cancer and there's a huge diagnosis. And it could very well be something that goes away as quickly as it came on. But I want you to have a good experience when you come into us because you deserve that. And we know that when people are kids and teenagers, the healthcare they experience when they're young really impacts whether or not they'll seek out healthcare when they're older. If you're 30 and you're pregnant, and you're afraid to come in because you're like, oh, my doctors always make fun of me or make me feel stupid. And there's actually a real issue. And now you have a real problem with your baby because you didn't feel empowered to speak up. It starts now. So I want to applaud you for calling in. I want to applaud you for listening to this episode. And I want you to know that there are really good doctors out there. And if you, even your first, your second, your third healthcare provider that you interact with is like just not listening to you, know that there are good ones out there that I highly encourage you to ask your pediatrician who they recommend, to ask your parents, your friends, your teachers. They might know really good people. I think that it's important to know that you don't have to put up with crappy service, right? I joked with this with a nurse the other day that, 
you know, how now when people get tips, you know, they're like, it's just going to ask you a few questions, right? Like at the store. And you're like, I know what question it's going to ask me. It's what percentage do you want me to tip you? But we pretend we're like, it's just going to ask a question. I think that it would be great every time we saw a patient that we had that same thing and not for a tip, although that would be cool. Like for the nurses and the underpaid residents, like I don't need a tip, but if I just turned it over, it's like, it's just going to ask you a question and you rate like one to five, like, did you feel heard? Now? Yes, you can look at Google reviews. Those tend to be horrible. That's a topic for another day, but I do wish that we were held a little more accountable for these things. Cause I think if we got that immediate real-time feedback right then and there, we would be like, Oh, okay. I'm going to know a little bit more. So I will say, you know, usually in these episodes, I have a classes in session. I feel like this whole entire episode was a classes in session because did you get this when you were in your sex ed in high school? I doubt it, right? How to advocate for yourself with a doctor, how to know when to speak up. I mean, God, in Florida right now, you're not even allowed to talk about periods if you're not in the sixth grade or above. Thank you, Governor DeSantis. I hope you're listening to my podcast. But this is what happens when we don't give young people the language of how to speak up. They don't even know if they can. So we have totally gone off of your question here, but I think it's really important to know that this entire episode is your class that you should have had in high school. And I'm sorry you didn't. And I usually have a clitorally statement where I go, clitorally, are you kidding me? Well, that's what's clitorally kidding me, or is the fact that Governor DeSantis signed a law in Florida that said that you can't talk about sex ed unless you're in the sixth grade or above. And yet lots of things happen to fourth and fifth graders when it comes to periods or pain. And you're sending this message that you can't even talk about this stuff when you are 16, because you've internalized the idea that it must be bad if we're not allowed to talk about it, because why else would they make laws? Clitorally, that is a bunch of garbage. And literally, I cannot take it. And I think my blood pressure is going up. So I think we should probably stop right there. And I want you to know that you are worthy of good health care. I'm so pleased you're taking care of your body, that you're paying attention. Oh, one last thing. Okay, here's your health class. <laughs> write down, track your symptoms, write it down, keep an eye on things. That's another really helpful thing too on a calendar. If you track when your periods are, if you track when your pain is, if it's a, you know, it's a two out of 10, not terrible, 10 being the worst pain in your life. And then on Tuesday, it's a six out of 10. And then you notice it was a 10 out of 10 when you ate really bad food and it can just help us tie other things in. So there's my other little nugget of wisdom for you, but I want to thank you for calling in. I want to encourage you to always speak up and advocate and know that you're worth it. And that's why I'm here. And if you've got other questions about this or other things related to it, you know how to find me. Okay. It's that time where I ask you to rate, review, and follow on your favorite podcast app, because we know that's how we get more people talking. So call in at 503-893-2016 and join me online at Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. So let's keep the conversation going, my friends. Call in, leave a question, and know that it's okay to have questions about your body, and we're going to answer them.